0: Today, I'm chatting with Sarah McKenzie about narration when you have special challenges. Welcome to the Simply Charlotte Mason podcast. I'm Sonia Schaefer. Today, we have a special guest. Sarah McKenzie is joining us. Sarah, I'm so glad you were able to stop by. I am just delighted to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Over. Oh, happy, it's our <laughs> pleasure. And when we were talking earlier, we were talking about narration and how each of us has a special challenge with at least one child, if not more than one, and how we've had to tweak narration, tweak the method, but we wanted to make sure our tweaking was based on Charlotte's principles. So let's, before we dive into what we did, let's talk about what we were dealing with, oh, the yes. special challenges that we have. Now, a lot of our audience knows that my youngest has autism and pervasive developmental delays and so that's my challenge talk about your challenge
1: so we've had a few the biggest one i think that has impacted narration in our homeschool is a diagnosed anxiety disorder and so um that well before i get into how that looked i guess yeah uh, anxiety and that's been showed up in more than one of our children but That seemed to be the one that impacted narration specifically most. That's where I saw "Mm, maybe what we're doing or what I expected us to be able to do isn't going to quite work. And then another one is dyslexia because we've had several children who are dyslexic as well.
0: Both of those would be big challenges. I can see the dyslexia, especially when you get to the written part. Yes. But you're talking diagnosed, like clinical anxiety. Yes. Yes. Not just.
1: Not just. I'm a little worried and anxious about this new thing you're asking me yeah, to do,
0: Mom. Right. <laughs> but this is like debilitating <laughs> yes. anxiety. Yes. All right. So let's talk about the principles that we we want to hold to yes. and and fall back on. Yes. To me, the first one, of course, is the
1: child is a person. Yes, which is one of those things I think it's easy to forget when we're in the middle of homeschooling. We forget our children are images of God. They're born persons, like Charlotte always reminds us. Um, and this idea that I think sometimes, especially when we're maybe a little anxious or worried about our homeschooling and our children, we all want to do it right. You know, oh, of course. We all want to make sure we're doing this right. And so we feel like if I follow the method, exactly as I've been told, then I'll get the results that I've been promised, which is not actually how it works with raising children. We all know this. <laughs> yes. Well, and
0: Charlotte talked about a method versus a system oh, and how good. we always want a system. Like if I do A, B, and C, I will get this cake. P- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But that's, as you said, that's not how it is with children. Charlotte mm. said that too. It even. Even it's not like growing a garden because mm. seeds don't have personalities, yes, you know? Right. But our children do. Yes. So I love how you said that we think if we do it the typical way, and with mm-hmm. many of our children, it does work that way. If we do narration exactly as Charlotte outlined it, mm-hmm. we can get good results, but we've got to take
1: into consideration that child. Yes. As a unique individual. Which I think is one of those God-given instincts that we have as mothers anyway. Mm. Um, we see it at the very beginning with an infant when we have an idea of maybe how we're going to get a, a, a good night's sleep. And then we realize that whatever we thought was going to work with this infant isn't actually going to work. <laughs> yeah. We need to adjust things a little bit. Yeah. So to me, homeschooling feels like a, a perpetuation of that sort of yeah. um Constant recognizing this born person in front of you yeah. isn't always going to, you know, follow the playbook of what we think. <laughs>
0: and it's hard because that's that means we're in a constant state of potential change. Yes. But I read something the other day that really stuck with me. Hmm. Um, I love how Charlotte said the goal of education is growth, that we learn to grow as a person. And what I read was... Growth means constant change.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. As you watch even a plant grow, it's constantly changing as it grows. And so that does almost set you off balance Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we don't like to be off balance. So it's a challenge, but I love how you said, hopefully we have the mother's intuition if we'll just follow it. Yes. Instead of all the other pressures and comparisons and challenges we see around us. Okay, another another principle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I love how sh- how Karen Glass talks about how narration is a relationship
1: building activity. Yeah, I've not read that from her, but I, when you said when you say that, it just feels to me like oh yes, of course. And homeschooling is all about relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why homeschooling works. I think is because it's based on this really strong foundational relationship where you love your child and want what's best for your child more than anybody else in the world. Yeah, (laughs) And so you're highly invested in, which also I think adds to number one, your success in homeschooling, but also to the pressures you probably feel about getting it right or doing it right. So I love this relationship building as a key foundational principle of whatever methods we're using. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we wanna protect that relationship. And it is it is
0: relationship building between us that's mm-hmm. very important, the child and the parent, yeah. but also between the child and the material. Yes. And we don't want
1: to interfere yeah. with them building those relations. Okay, that is one of the principles that I found most compelling when I first stumbled across Charlotte Mason. Because at the time, I think my oldest was one or two, <laughs> and I'm poring over all these homeschooling books. And and this idea that the child, you don't want to get in the way of your child's, um oh goodness, there's a Charlotte Mason quote that I'm thinking of, and I, I maybe it'll come to me in a moment. Um, getting it for herself, like this idea of getting the knowledge for herself. Mm-hmm. Because as a what a child digs for is her own possession exactly yeah. yes yeah um, of course you would know enough to talk about <laughs> that's just one of them there are several that apply i did not know if that was the one but yeah but it's so different than the way i learned as a child yeah. but when i read that as an adult i thought oh yes i mean i always felt like most of the best learning i had done what came after school, it didn't come during my school years, but came after that when I was learning things because it was just me and the book, it was me and the ideas and so then you get, there's nothing standing in the way between your mind connecting with the mind of the writer or whatever, yeah. of the idea that's being presented. Yeah. So this makes a lot of sense to me. Which yeah.
0: then brings us back to the first principle because you were interacting with that material as an individual Yes. and the ideas and the way you related to that author's ideas mm-hmm. Is different from how another person is going to relate. Yes. So yes. Charlotte was so smart. So. Okay, so smart. <laughs> so, so let's talk about how we have tweaked yeah. narration in our situations. Why don't you start with
1: um, the anxiety child? Okay. So one of the things I struggled with early on when I realized I would I would try to do oral narrations with my oldest daughter, who was very anxious, and, and like I said, clinically diagnosed anxiety disorder, so it wasn't just that she was a little nervous, um, was that I started to feel like I was probably not doing this right. There was something wrong with either me or my child, because this wasn't working, you know? this This idea of oral narration was causing her, what would end up happening is I would ask her for a narration. I would read a, a short story or a part of a, a story or something and I would ask her to tell me back what you remember and um she would you could see like panic rising in her she would fumble around like I, I don't know I don't know what you want me to say um and the other thing she would do is the next time I would go to read to her uh she would ask me at the beginning are you gonna ask me for a narration?" And if I said no, I realized she would kind of relax and listen better. I could ask her for a narration at the end of it. (laughs) And she would do a much better job than if I said, yes, I'm going to ask you for a narration. Because then it was like, I almost don't think she could hear. I almost think... Something like there was like a rush of water in her ears or something, you know, like that panic of, oh, no, I don't know if I'm going to miss the right right thing. So the anxiety got her attention rather than the story did. Very good.
0: That's really well put. Yes, yes.
1: So what I realized is um, with her tweaking it just slightly so that it was more of a conversation. So I would a, a lot of times after we would read and still I do this with all my children to this day after we would read something, I will just model Narrating rather than asking them for a narration. So I might say something like, if we were reading, um, we just did the, Revol- we were just learning about Revolutionary War history this last year. So if I was reading them uh, something about Paul Revere and said, uh, can uh, we'd finish the story and or finish the chapter or whatever. And I would say, you know, something that sticks out to me about this is, and I would just say something, just make, you know, how um, Paul Revere was so, he, he was good at so many different things. He was, he was like, really widely talented, but also um, really well-skilled in a whole bunch of different areas. I did not know that about Paul Revere before this. What's something that stuck out to you? Or what do you think of that? And then it seems like that opened up a the conversation in a way that being put on the spot maybe didn't. And I th- feel like maybe that was sort of a way to get in on the side of it is. anxiety. It is. I mean, saying what stood out
0: to you. That's narration. You're asking for a narration. Yeah, You're just exactly. not using
1: the words. Yes.
0: <laughs> and, and they don't feel like, and, and with you going first, yes. they don't feel like they're being put on the
1: spot. Yes. But it's still that open-ended question Absolutely. where I'm not saying, so where, did, does anybody remember where Paul Revere yeah, lived? No, no, no. no. <laughs> that steals the joy. And it gets in the way, yeah. right? It puts us right in the middle of the child and the text.
0: And Charlotte said, "Direct questions on the content are an impertinence, which we all resent."
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's my great? Yeah, that's but, great. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so, with my daughter, yeah, we were able for a while to have her draw her narrations. Oh, yeah. Get, getting her words out her mouth. Getting Mm -hmm. her thoughts into verbal words is very difficult for her, Okay. very difficult. And so for a while, she was able to draw it, and then I would say, oh, tell me about your drawing, and she might give me a sentence. Mm. And so I could write it down, and I discovered this little trick. If if I did what Charlotte said about give the child your full attention, uh uh-huh, and, mm mm-hmm, Mm -hmm. it would shut her down completely because of the eye contact. Yes, right. She couldn't think. Yes. So I had to tweak it, Mm -hmm. keep the principle, but tweak it. So I gave her my attention as she told me her one sentence, and then I turned to write it down. And then I came back and said anything else. And for a while there, I was getting two and three sentences from her because I was looking away, and that gave her opportunity to come up with another sentence without the eye contact. Mm -hmm. Stumbled upon that. That worked for a while. Then she got very tired of the drawing because she has very low fine motor skills. It's it's difficult for her. So then we moved to, I shouldn't say it was only because of the fine motor skills. It was also because of the verbal component. It was just so hard for her. So we moved to trying to do an oral part. And so I would read a section, and I would say, can you tell me about the story? She would always repeat the last thing that I had read, always. (laughs) But now looking back on it, it's like, of course she's going to, because she has always had echolalia.
1: Oh, interesting. Yes. Of course. Yes. You know, echolalia,
0: for those who are not familiar with it, is where the child will use other people's words and just repeat those and at times it seems like it's random and has nothing to do with the situation but if you look closer a lot of times there's a piece in there that gives you a hint as to what she's thinking about what's happening yeah quite interesting so all i was getting was the echolalia so then we moved to and this is over the course of years this this uh, evolution happened then we moved to um, writing the narration. I would write it. So I would read the section and I would say, what should we say? Like we were reading um, about dogs for her science lesson. Mm -hmm. What do you want to say about dogs? And she would look back at the book that was open between us, Okay. and she would point to the words that she wanted me to write down. Oh, excellent, okay, yes. But again, it was still somebody else's words. Right. She was just pointing to the sentence or right. the phrase that right. she wanted to pull. So I wrote that down. That worked for a little while, then she got tired of that. and And I'm thinking, I'm still not getting her words, I'm getting other people's words. Mm-hmm. And then we finally got to the point where I gave her the notebook and I thought, I'm gonna let her write it. Because she had started typing and emailing with a friend of mine. And she would type, so she was was trying to capture her thoughts and put them into writing somehow. Okay. So I thought, here's our chance, let's do this. Yeah. So I gave her the notebook, we would read the story, and she would write down the title of that chapter. Hmm. That's all she'd do. Hmm. And after a while, she wouldn't pull out that notebook anymore. She always would gather our materials. She'd look at the list of what we have for the day and pull out what we're gonna use and stack it. She would leave the notebook on the shelf. Oh, interesting. That was her way of telling me, I don't wanna do that Not anymore. Not doing that anymore? No, no, <laughs> uh-huh. So where we are now is I just read to her okay. and trust that it's getting in there. And I love, um, I don't know if you know Tammy Glaser
1: Oh, the name sounds familiar.
0: She, she has an autistic daughter, mm-hmm. Pamela, and um, has helped write the chapter on special needs, narration with special needs kids, okay. in Karen Glass's book, Know and Tell. Okay. And she's been a big inspiration to me over the years. And she said something in that book, Know and Tell, about always assume that there's more going on in the child's mind than it appears. Oh, Wow and you do you have to hang on to that Mm -hmm. when if you're going to respect the child as a person you you've got to have have that
1: hope have that belief yeah that there is more going on than you can see which i think is almost always true actually because i know a lot of times when i'll be reading aloud i remember with my oldest three i'd have i had these two girls and then a boy who was very fidgety very like he would be standing on his head jumping on the trampoline while i'm reading aloud Mm -hmm. And I would think, there's no possible way this kid knows what I'm reading, you know? The next day, when I'd say, who remembers what happened yesterday? He's the one that could remember. Yes. Um, And so I think, again, it's that trust in there being way more than we can quantify or see. And also, in what our role is. Like our role is to present this feast and then they take what's fit for them. There's some Charlotte Mason quote about that too. That's exactly right.
0: Each small guest takes what they're ready for. Yes. Yes.
1: Um, Something else that popped to mind for me as you were talking is um, something that helped with the anxiety with narration was making sure I wasn't using superlatives when I was saying, when I was asking for something or when I was saying, when I was modeling narration. So instead of saying the most important, what do you know? What is the most important thing you remember mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. that. Or what is the best part? You know, anything best, most. What is your favorite? Yes, exactly. Yeah. If I was to ask you right now, what is your favorite book of all time? You'd probably like... Oh, shut down. Yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah. also Yeah, exactly. You yeah. can't. The effort of decision. It's like... And in, there's so many possibilities. And I need to pick the yeah. one that rises above all the others. So, yeah. but if I said, can you tell me about a book you've loved? Then that's totally different. Now it feels like... So I, I feel mm. like with with... Especially if you have a child that's dealing with any kind of anxiety or any kind of um, panic at the idea of giving a narration. Just saying, what's one thing you don't want to forget? What's one thing that that stood out to you? That's one that I use all the time. Uh And that feels way lower pressure than what's the most important pieces. Which I think, even if you're not saying it, your child might be hearing something like... My mom wants me to tell her the most important part of this chapter and I don't know what that is. And she has something in mind. Yes. Potentially that right. might be what the child's thinking. So yes. now we're back to the direct
0: questioning, the guess what the child, guess what the teacher is thinking yes. Yes. scenario, which is not relationship building.
1: It's not relationship building and it's not relationship building with the with the text either. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it kind of gets in the way there. Yeah, that's so interesting.
0: Wow. Um
1: the other piece with written narration and this feels to me like what you were sort of talking about with your daughter is um, with my dyslexic kids, it's been really helpful to keep writing their narrations for them for longer than you might see recommended on, from Charlotte Mason resources. Uh-huh. Um, and for my my oldest son, who's now seventeen, when he was younger, I would find that if I asked for some kind of a narration or said, "What do you want to What do you want to talk? About? What do you want to remember from this thing we just read?" Um, if I just asked him and I wrote it for him. He would make all these really great complex connections and do this really good thinking, which is the much harder part of writing than forming the letters, right? Uh, But if I said, write it down, he would just shrink it down to the smallest, shortest sentence that he could get away with because he knew he had to do that writing himself. Of course. And so extending that length of time where I was doing the writing really helped. And then by the time that there, he was in, I don't remember exactly how old he was. He might have been... 14 before he was really doing most of his writing himself um and even still if he i only would transition because i felt like okay now he'll write down the great thinking that's happening that i hear coming from his mouth but i don't see happening on paper Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah the age thing and the grade thing
0: can be big detriments to respecting the child as a person yeah or obstacles, I guess,
1: just because of uh, the way we were taught, you it, know. Yes, and I think it plays into that fear that we all have—that maybe we're not doing it right, or I'm am I ruining my
0: child? Exactly. <laughs> am I teaching
1: my child in some way where they're not going to be ready to do what they need to do? And so, if they're not being able to write their own narrations at twelve, what am I doing wrong? Instead of going, yeah. this, that just might be the way that God made this child. Yeah. Like this is his timeline. So, yeah, so he's not ready yet. Yes we have to hang on to that word yet. Yes, and then we kind of can offer those bridges. That The word that came to mind as you were talking about the different ways you interacted with your daughter with narration was like, these are all kinds of scaffolding or bridges, you yeah. know? Like giving your child scaffolding is a way to sort of get to where you're trying to go. And so for me, it feels like being able to tweak the method while keeping the principle at heart, that feels like a way that we can meet our children exactly where they are, exactly the way God made them. Yes. So the principles, child is a person, respect that
0: child as an individual, keep the relationship going between you guys and with the book. Yes, (laughs) yes. And let that child interact with the material in the way that he or she is ready to. As long as we're doing that, I think we're gonna be okay. I think so. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe. We'll see you next time.